worship him. Hallelujah. He deserves our praise, our glory tonight. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you, a, a name makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Because you can go to a, a venue or an event and if nobody knows your name, you're just another person. You're just a number in the crowd, and it's not personal to you or to anybody, but uh, you're just somebody there. But when somebody from the stage calls your name, that changes everything, doesn't it? Man, it becomes that much more powerful and important, and the same goes with God. Aren't you thankful that we know who the name of God is? Yes, Jesus. Sir. We can call upon the name that is greater, no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And so we know his name, and God knows our name. And man, that's the, the beginning of an intimate relationship with the creator of heaven and earth and his creation. Amen. And we should uh, desire that more than anything. Man, to know who he is and to, to be more like him. Amen. Because we are made in his image, but we, we, we need to be more like him. Amen. Amen. It's through praise and worship we can get to enter his presence. Amen. And get closer to him. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to worship together. Amen. The one true living God. Amen. Amen. He deserves our praise, doesn't he? Amen. The good times and the bad times. Our God doesn't change. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And we give him glory. Amen. As our ushers come tonight. Amen. Remember the uh, events announcements here. Uh, if you need help connecting your phone with this, uh, I've already helped some other people, some people tonight. So uh, we want to be connected to the body Amen. and what's going on. Amen. So on Saturday we have our Christmas uh, holiday event uh, back here at the church. Amen. But, uh, even before that, in the morning, uh, you can have breakfast with this lovely man right here. Uh, if you're, men's breakfast with this guy. Uh, talk to him if he's going to pay for your meal or not. He's not paying for mine, so he may pay for yours. But So, uh, amen, uh, we want to stay connected and uh, appreciate all your participation and uh, your help with these events. Amen. So we want to pray for uh, this weekend. We want to pray for uh, those that are out sick, the bug going around, flu, whatever it is. Amen. And uh, those that are in need. Amen. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus. God, we thank you, Lord, for this time, this opportunity. We thank you for your presence here, Lord, that we can come before you, Jesus. Lord, and bring our needs before you, God. You know each and every need, every situation. 
We ask for your hand upon everyone, Lord. You plead the blood of Jesus over the minds, their hearts, their bodies. Lord, touch this offering, multiply for your kingdom. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen. Let's come and give unto the Lord tonight. Oh, yes. No fire can burn me. No We thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He is worthy of it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, as Kids Church has already dismissed themselves, we can go to the word of the Lord tonight. Uh, Righteous Romans, we are in part five tonight. Our text for this series is Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. How many are thankful for that? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Greet, turn to a few people, greet them in Jesus' name as you're seated tonight. Amen. We are on part five tonight. Um, we, uh, we've covered seven chapters. Um, tonight we'll be covering chapter eight. I, w- I was hoping to get through that and begin, you know, get through a few chapters tonight. But as it turns out, eight is pretty loaded. Uh, it's a loaded chapter. Uh, so we'll dive into that. Amen. As we've been talking about this letter to the church in Rome, uh, explaining the depths of salvation and justification by faith and what it means to, to be a, uh, a believer. Uh, chapter 1 explained that the Gentiles, he introduced that, that Gentiles are guilty of sin and need a Savior. And as the Jews were pointing fingers at the Gentiles for their uh, lawless and ungodly lifestyle, uh, chapter 2 turns to the Jews and tells them that they are not any better that they need to obey the gospel just like the Gentiles. Uh, And so there's no difference between Jew or Greek uh, as Paul tears down that wall. And uh, to to bring it out, to zoom out in chapter 3, he makes the point that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter who you are, where you come from, every person needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Jews uh, had the law to teach them what God wanted and what he expected uh, his people to live by. The Gentiles did not have the law, but as Paul says, the Gentiles have nature to teach them and have conscience uh, to lead and direct us uh, about God. We're hungry enough, God will lead us into truth and all righteousness. So everybody is without excuse, the Jews and the Gentiles. We all are held accountable and everybody needs to obey 
this precious gospel. And so in chapter 4, Paul illustrated that the, the law of Moses does not have the power to save or to declare anybody righteous. Uh, he uses two examples, Abraham and David, how they are where righteousness was declared and given to them apart from the law and apart from circumcision. So the two main, two main points that Jews would like to use uh, for their belief and basis in their doctrine, Paul just cuts them off at the knees and says, Abraham and David, uh, they were saved not because of the law, but uh, apart from the law and declared righteous because of it. And so in chapter 5, Paul begins to explain the blessings of being justified in the eyes of God, what that means. And uh, it justified means is just if I never sinned. That's how God views those who uh, believe in him and are obedient to the gospel that he has presented. Uh, we are viewed as innocent and, and uh, uh without spot or blemish or wrinkle in the eyes of God. And we know it's nothing that we have done. It's the, the, the grace that God has given us and his righteousness and his blood that he's covered us with makes us innocent in the eyes of God when we know that uh, in our past we uh, are, are far from being declared innocent. And, and so in the eyes of God, we can be justified in his sight and a blessing like that is something that cannot be purchased and cannot be uh, won or earned in this life. Uh, a bless, the blessing of being justified only comes as a gift from God. And we uh, need to obey his word in order to be declared and to be viewed as, as such. And so then in chapter 6, Paul then says that... Uh, a believer should not sin or continue in sin, God forbid, that all that God has done for you, if, he, if he's declared you justified in his sight, why would anybody want to continue in sin, uh, God forbid, as he says. Uh, and so chapter 6, we, we don't live uh, by sin any longer. We don't want to do that any longer. Chapter 7, Paul explains that the ability to come out from underneath the power of sin cannot be accomplished by depending on the law or depending on our flesh because the law is there. It points out sin. It declares, hey, that is guilty. That is not good. This is good. This is bad. But it doesn't fight or defeat sin. It just points it out. It's like a flashlight that bloop, turns on. And it exposes something. That's what the law did uh, to the Jews. It exposes sin, 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 sin. And so it was to be a schoolmaster to teach the Jews this is what sin is. And we don't want to do that. And we want to instead turn to God and to lean upon him and we'll give him our heart. And we'll never walk in the ways of, of sin. Uh, but uh, the, law, the Jews uh, kind of twisted the law and made a religion out of the law itself. And they got lost in it, and uh, they got so lost and so distracted with the law that they condemned Jesus Christ with their own law that he gave them. Uh, and so he points it out in chapter 7, how the law is powerless against sin. Uh, it just shows it to us. And also he finishes up chapter 7 talking about our flesh and any kind of power that we may have to try to battle sin. And since our 
flesh is corrupted. It is a it has gone in cahoots with sin. It is a corrupted a sinful nature, and so uh, our sin is working against us because uh, it wants to do things that are unpleasing to God, and we know in our minds, as Paul says, I know in my mind what to do right, but in my members and my flesh, it wants to do other things that are not expedient and that are not good uh, for my walk with God, and so uh, to live and to walk by the flesh, you will always be subject and a servant to sin because our flesh and our own natural ability does not have the power to defeat sin. Sin is greater than us. It has more power than us as a human uh, because it convinced us to be subject to it through Eve, Eve's action and, and as well as Adam's actions in the, the garden. And so man became a servant to sin because it listened to uh, the voice of sin. Uh, and so uh, he's going in, Paul's explaining this, and so... Since the law cannot help defeat sin and our own natural abilities cannot help us defeat sin, we are stuck uh, because any option that we have in this world so far is not helping us. It, it shows us what's wrong and it shows us that we are guilty and we are doing wrong things, but it doesn't give us the tools to, 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 uh, to defeat sin. And so that's when he goes into chapter 8 to, to provide the solution to this all. Uh, to defeat sin, and that is where uh, the Spirit of God comes in, in chapter 8, uh, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so uh, that it, it begins to introduce the power that the Spirit of God has. Uh, if you live by the law of the Spirit, uh, you have life in Christ and you are free from the law of sin and death. And so there uh, immediately the Spirit has more power than sin and death because it makes you free from that. The only way uh, it can you, you can be free from something, it is something of a greater power pulls you away from that and uh, sin tries to fight back but it cannot do anything because uh, the spirit of God is greater and so here he's introducing the power that the spirit has verse 3 for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, the Spirit of God is the answer to the problem that humanity faces, that we are battling a, a battle that we cannot win. We cannot defeat this, this sin uh, nature, this power of sin uh, against us. And, uh, and so the Spirit of God is the answer to that. It gives the believer the power to live above sin and to be free from the law of sin and death and free to live the life that God has called us to live. He, God, it would be unfair and unjust for God to say, hey, this is how I want you to live, 
knowing that we cannot do it on our own and just to sit back and say, go ahead and try. When God knows everything, he knows there's no possible way for us to live that life. He's expecting us and to judge us to live us by, to judge us by uh, if he doesn't give us a help. And the help that he gives us is his spirit. And so if we have the spirit of Christ, we have everything that we need to live a victorious life. There's nothing else that God is waiting to give us in this life for us to live according to the way he wants us to live. If we have his spirit, we have everything God has given for us. And so we are now without excuse, just as we were without excuse for uh, uh uh, failing God and, and uh, sinning, now if we are filled with the spot to live a righteous life. Uh, and so uh, the way to get the spirit of God uh, is obviously to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ties back into the key verse, Romans 1 and 16. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so he continues on in verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Because we know the flesh is corrupted. It's sinful in nature and is deceitful. And so anybody that lives according to that way cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now that if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so we have to have the spirit of God. Otherwise, we're, we, we're not even in the game. We're still on the sidelines. We're in this parking lot trying to even get into the game if you don't have the spirit. So many people think that they have the spirit of God, and uh, hopefully they come to a revelation uh, if they do or not. Because uh, the rapture, people are going to really re understand if they have the Spirit of God or not, right? And so at that point, it's too late. It's too late. Either you have it or you don't. Either you're going to be raptured up or you're not. Either you're going to be raised from the grave uh, through the power of His Spirit or, or not. And so we have to have the Spirit of Christ, uh, the Spirit of God in us. And so now go with me for a second uh, uh, reading this verse here. Uh, uh, a, a little rabbit trail hit me when I was preparing this. And so we, we know that there is one God. Uh, Trinitarians say that there is one God, but he's in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And they are separate, but they are equal. Being separate means that they are different than one another. Separate yet equal. That means that God the Father is not God the Son. Because they're separate, but yet somehow they're together. And they, uh, the God the Son is not the Holy Spirit because they have to be separate in some aspects. And so their distinctions somehow make them separate. Yet there's one God, they, they say. Uh, but John 4.24 says God is a spirit. God is a spirit, and so my question is, which part of God is a spirit? Is it the Father spirit? Which one are you talking about? Uh, I'm just asking because we're going to go through a, a real Trinitarian problem here in verse 9 that we read. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that number three? 
Or is that God the Father, is that number one? Which one are we talking about here? If so, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, is none of his. How many spirits are we talking about here? If God the Son is different and separate and distinct from God the Spirit, Number two and number three are different. How is it that in one verse we're talking about the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ? Which one should I ask to get? Should I ask for the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God? Because apparently there seems to be two here. So now Christ has a Spirit, and so is the Spirit of Christ the same as the Spirit of God? We know that they cannot be the same according to the Trinitarians because they have to be separate and unique and different, three in one. Uh, And so I would like to know what the differences are between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And while we're at it, let's just throw in the Spirit of the Father as well because might as well make it a trifecta here. So what makes it, what makes them separate from the rest? How are they separate and unique and different and yet Uh, In one verse, we're talking about the Spirit of God and then the Spirit of Christ. It seems to me that the way that Paul is writing, it seems to me that Paul sees no difference in them. Paul sees no difference because if God is one and there's no separation between whatever they're talking about, then you can easily use these names interchangeably, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. It it doesn't matter what you call them. They're all the same. There's no separation. Uh, God is uh, uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Jesus is God, robed in the flesh, and so they're all the same. Uh, And so, uh, and then we go to verse 10. And if Christ be in you, so let's hold the phone right there. Now it's really getting messed up because I thought the Spirit comes inside of me. And now he's talking about Christ coming in me. And so uh, was, did Jesus come in me while I was praying for the Holy Ghost? And he, Jesus came in, the Son came in quicker than the Spirit came into me. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for Christ to get in me. I signed up for the Spirit to get in me. Uh, and so um, I'm just going off on a crazy tangent that I uh, prepared, obviously, for the Trinitarians. So, so Jesus comes, and now Christ is in me. Um, so what's going on? Because I'm asking the Trinitarians, it seems to me that in two verses here, Paul makes a mess of the Trinitarian doctrine. At least in my eyes, he does, uh, of them being separate yet equal. Uh, And so, moving on, verse 10, and, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so, uh, verse 11, but uh, if the spirit of him, who is him, not sure, one, two, or three, the spirit of him, is it number one, the Father, or, the, or number three, the Spirit? It can't be number two because we're talking about Jesus here. So if the Spirit of him uh, raised Jesus up from the dead, dwell in you. But what is interesting, we see uh, two chapters ago, Romans 6 and 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. So here in verse chapter 6, 
Paul says Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Uh, and so maybe in Romans 8, 11, but the spirit of him, maybe now he's talking about the Father. Um, but if him raised him from the dead, dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit. Explaining the power that the spirit has over the flesh. And if uh, the flesh is corrupted by sin, then the spirit has power over flesh and sin. And that is why being filled with the spirit of God is the answer to everyone's problems. It's why everybody needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the spirit that's going to raise us up from the dead uh, and quicken our mortal bodies. The spirit has the power to do that, access to that kind of power. Why would we not want to be filled with that right here and right now in this lifetime? Because it's already hard enough uh, living on this earth. We need all the help that we can get, right? Uh, and so God says, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you. Spirit of God. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. So now he kind of transitions for a little bit. After describing the power of the Spirit, the power the Spirit has over flesh and over sin and how it makes us free from all of the problems of the world. Now that after knowing that, um, he now says that we are debtors. And so what does that mean? That we are in debt. If you are in debt, you are a debtor. That there is a bill that we owe. And when somebody lends you something and you accept it, you become the debtor and they become the creditor or lender, whatever, whatever word there. Uh, we become the lender or the debtor. And so what does the Bible say about that? Proverbs 22 and 7. The rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So if you are a debtor, you are a servant. If you get a statement in your in the mail every month for a, a loan that you haven't paid off, you're a debtor. We're a servant. We're a servant to whoever's sending that sending that uh, stub in. And you go ahead and fight that. You go ahead and say, I'm not paying that. You go ahead and do that and see what the, the lender, the creditor, the master, if you will, you go ahead and see what they do to you. Uh, whether it be your car, your house, or your electricity bill, whatever, you can you can not pay it. That's fine, but uh, don't think that the the lender or the creditor is just going to be okay with that, because they have power over you. Because we become debtor to that, we we enter some kind of agreement that we we will pay for that. Uh, and so when we are a debtor, we are a borrower. And so you're going to somebody, and you are saying to them. I am in a situation that I uh, need help. I maybe cannot get out of it with your own ability. That there is something that I need or I want, but I can't afford it with what I have. And so I cannot pay the asking price, and so I need some help. Will you lend me this amount of money to help me get what I want? 
And with that, I will make payments to you. I will become subject to you, servant to you, uh, until my debt is paid. And so every month you get a reminder uh, that you are a debtor, whether it be a car or a house uh, payment or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and so we are a debtor. That means that we're really not in control. We think we're in control, but we're not until obviously that goes away. Uh, then you are in control of that asset or whatever it is, uh, except we can never really get control of the power company, so we'll always be subject to that. But other things in life, we can work hard to get rid of that debt and be in control. Uh, and so um, you, we get to live and then enjoy the benefits of, of that. We get to drive the car, but it's not ours yet. We think it's ours, but if we can make a payment every month, it's not ours yet. You stop making payment, you'll find out that it's not your car real quick. You get to live in the house. It's not your house yet. Uh, one day, hopefully, it will be, but uh, uh, you, you, as long as you make those payments. And so um, Paul says that we are now debtors, not to the flesh. Why? Because the flesh never did anything for us. The, ne the flesh never did anything good for us except get us in trouble with God. It didn't help us improve our standing with God, but to the contrary, we got into more and more trouble with God when we followed after the flesh. And so he says we're not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe the, uh, owe the flesh anything. If anything, flesh owes us a lot. Uh, uh, because we suffered enough because of it. Uh, he says, we are not debtors to the flesh, but we are debtors to the Spirit of God. Because it is the Spirit of God that raises up a dead man and gives him new life. It is the Spirit of God that empowers us to live and to walk after righteousness, something that the flesh can never do or will never do. And so we are debtors to the Spirit of God because that in that desperate hour, He came to us while we were down on our own. We, while we were at our wit's end, while we were powerless, Jesus came and He lifted us up out of that miry clay and he set our feet on that solid rock to stand, and he cleaned us up, and he washed us with his blood, and washed us with his word, and he clothed us with a robe, uh, just like he did to Adam and Eve, and he clothed us with a, a robe of righteousness. And he, he wipes the dirt off of our face, and he, he fixes our hair, and then God steps back, and he smiles and says, my, my children, my son, my daughter, there you are. And yet we cry out through the Spirit. We cry out, Abba, Father. Because we have now received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so how we, we once were enemies with God and uh, just dirty and filthy. And the, the spirit of God comes and leads us to him. And he cleans us up and washes us and fills us and gives us a new life. And clothes us with righteousness and wipes away our sin and all these things. And then God looks at us and says, my son, my daughter. And so that is why. We are debtors to the Spirit. That is why we are servant to the Spirit of God, because without that, we're nothing. 
Without the Spirit of God in our life, we are nothing. And so that is why we give him praise, and that is why we worship him, because we have the memories of, of not too long ago of us down there living in the pig pen and, and living in the slop of life, and now we stand innocent and cleansed and justified in the eyes of God. And we know that we don't deserve to be here. So there, therefore now we are debtors. And that's okay with me. I'm okay to be a debtor to God. I'm okay to be a debtor to the Spirit of God because he's done so much in my life, blessed me beyond measure that I can't even begin to think about all that he's done. Uh, and so to be a, a debtor to the Spirit is, is a blessing. I'd rather be a, a debtor uh, and a servant of Christ and reign with him than to be a king and to be a slave in hell. Ephesians 2 and 4, another Paul, another uh, great passage. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ with Christ, for by grace are ye saved, hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that is why we live for him. That is why we are a debtor to him. That is why we are a debtor and a servant to God and his spirit because uh, just all it takes is a half a second to think about where we'd be without the spirit of God in our life. In verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God because it's not we that cry out, Abba, Father. It's the spirit of God that does that. And so God hears the voice of his spirit crying out, Abba, Father, and, and there somehow there we are. And God says, there you are, my son, my child. And so I don't know about you, but it, it still uh, can be hard to wrap your mind around the fact that we are a child of God now. 1 John 3 and 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And so uh, by this great love, now we are called the sons of God. When, when we know that there's nothing we've done to deserve that, to be called something like that. And uh, by being called a son of God, we'll get into what that means, what kind of benefits that is by being a son. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so now this is where many Christians, born-again Christians, uh, can stumble. Obviously, if they're not born again, uh, they're really going to stumble, have a harder time, but it's the Spirit that gives us the strength to endure above those who claim to be Christians but are not filled with the Spirit. Uh we know when we received his spirit and we know that we will be resurrected with him if we pass by the way of the grave. But if we are alive and remain, we know that we will be caught up with him to meet him in the air. And that we will rule and reign with Christ. We know all these things and we look forward to all these things. That we are joint heirs with Christ and that means we get a heavenly inheritance that is waiting for us on the other side. We know what we talk about heaven a lot. That's, you know, we can't wait to go and all the, the great benefits and blessings of, of that. And, 
Uh, all of those things are true right there in the Word of God. And when we lean upon that and we look to that. And so what happens is we can uh, get so one-sided that that's all we're focusing on and that's all we're thinking about. But when storm clouds begin to roll into our life and the seas begin to get a little choppy and we can then start getting a little crazy and worrisome and start chewing our fingernails and fingers off and uh, worrying about what's going on in our life because this should not be happening to me. What's going on? I, I'm filled with the Spirit of Christ. I, I'm a child of God now. Why am I dealing with these things and going through these things? It should not be happening to me. It should be happening to somebody else. And so our, our faith can fail and we get down or depressed because, again, I'm a child of God. This, why is this happening? And nothing bad should be happening to me, right? Wrong. I'm not even sure where that kind of doctrine comes from and mindset comes from, but it's not really spelled out in Scripture. In fact, Scripture kind of tells a different story. But yeah, we can take the heavenly aspect and inheritance and, and joint heirs and we can run off of that uh, and just start flying our own kite off in our own world and then things start happening and we get grounded really quick and we're like, what's going on? Why, why is this happening to me? Uh, uh, we're not sure where that comes from, but it's not really in the Bible where we don't have to suffer anymore. Because Hebrews 11 talks about believers who got to experience the glory and, and all, all the great stuff, but it also talks about believers who were sawn asunder. It means you're cut in half, at least cut in half. And they were given to lions as a snack. That doesn't sound like an inheritance that I want to go after. And so somewhere, somebody forgot to read large chunks of Scripture when talking about our new life as a child of God. And so let's read verse 17 again slowly. And if children, yes, I agree with that, then heirs, amen to that. Heirs of God, praise God, we're an heir to God. Join heirs with Christ, all right, can't wait for that. If, there's that word, if, don't like that word. If so be that we suffer with him. What? That's, I didn't sign up for that part. Can we just remove that little phrase? If we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So it almost seems like Paul is saying that if we want to rule and reign with him and share in this heavenly inheritance that's just waiting, piles of gold waiting for me, streets of gold, gates of pearl, that's all waiting for me. If, if we want to share in that, in this Heavenly inheritance, which, by the way, Jesus did all the work for, and that we get to show up and partake in it. That's what a joint heir is. It's pretty much just as good as ours as it is Jesus. You ever did all the work? Somebody shows up at the end and starts eating the cake with you, and you kind of look at them like, you ain't did, you ain't did a thing, and you're eating my cake. See, that's... Uh, that's kind of how it is with salvation because Jesus did everything. And yet we show up at the end like, hey, I'm here. What, what work did we do for salvation? 
What cross did we, that were, were we killed on the cross? Did our blood, did our, our sinless body and sinless life, did, our, did that defeat, defeat sin and pay sin's uh, debt? No, we didn't do any of that. Jesus did it all, uh, and he just says, if you just believe in me, I'll share all my stuff with you. Uh, and so that's why we are joint heirs with him, uh, and so we look forward to that part, and so uh, uh, we need to be careful when, uh, we're doing all the work and somebody else shows up. Not that we want to uh, promote that, but Jesus talks about that in a parable there of the, the workers, the uh, 11, 11th hour workers just showed up at the end, get paid the same as those that showed up in the beginning. Uh, and so what it, do, what it doesn't matter when you show up, you just need to start working when you show up, right? Amen. And so... Uh, uh, Jesus suffered and he resurrected with uh, his heavenly body. And so uh, we want to skip all of that. We, we want to reign with Christ. We don't want to suffer with Christ. We want to reign with Christ. But Paul's saying if we want to reign with Christ, we might first have to suffer with Christ. Didn't Jesus suffer before he was resurrected? Didn't before he got that heavenly body, wasn't he had to be killed and buried and beaten and bruised and, and crucified? And so we want to skip all of the, the crucifixion aspect of it in our life. And we just want to skip to the, the, to the end of the line, to the front of the line and say, hey, we're here for the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. But Paul's saying that's not how it works. I don't know what kind of uh, phony doctrine that is, but you don't get to skip the line. And if you want to reign with Christ, you're going to have to learn to suffer with Christ and experience uh, sufferings uh, in this life because Jesus did that as well. And so when the suffering comes, we throw a fit. And so I guess one day one could say maybe that we are immature and we don't understand Scripture because in order to reign with Christ, we must suffer with Christ. Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him, that's great, and the power of his resurrection, that's what we want to hear. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Eh, that's not, we aren't preaching that in my church. We're just going to preach the first part. Nobody wants to talk, uh, preach a sermon on the fellowship of sufferings. But it's just as biblical as experiencing the power of his resurrection, isn't it? It all goes hand in hand. And being made conformable unto death. No, I don't want to do that. I want to live. Uh, and so if we want to identify with all of heaven's blessings, then we have to be ready to identify with all of earth's sufferings. Not that, uh, you know, we, we're going to get an unfair advantage, uh, unfair amount of sufferings. We don't know what the, the life has for us. It rains on the just and the unjust. Uh, but uh, we probably should expect maybe... a the, the heat to be turned up a little bit more in our direction because the world hated Jesus, and if we're followers of Jesus, what do we, well, he's like, I'm, I'm, uh, you're, you're being sheep led to the slaughter. I mean, there's a world full of wolves and you're sheep. Uh, and if we, un if we don't understand that picture, we're not going to understand what persecution and tribulation is uh, because if they kill Jesus, don't think they won't kill us. But to understand that we have to, if we want to experience the power of his resurrection, we also should learn to fellowship in his sufferings. 
And, and so don't let your imaginations run wild with the sufferings because that can just, that's another kite that can just get taken off. about verse 17 we need to suffer suffer with him verse 18 for i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us and so whatever sufferings that we go through and experience in this life, no matter how bad, no matter how dark it may be, no matter how lonely it may be, Paul been worthy to be compared to what awaits us on the other side. And so it may be bad, it may get dark, but don't focus on that. Focus on what's coming. Focus on what's on the other side. It's not even worthy to be compared to what is coming for us. And so... Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to make my problems any bigger than what they already are. And if you have the right perspective, Paul's perspective, you'll understand that, hey, whatever it is, it's, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even, it's not even worthy to be compared. It's apples and oranges. You can't even compare them. It's not a fair comparison. And, and Paul would know because uh, he lived a life of suffering. He was uh, beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and... He even went to heaven one time, and God says, I'm not done with you. Go back down. Uh, and so I, I think he maybe he got a sneak peek of the third heaven, and that's how he can say what, what awaits us doesn't even worthy to be compared because he had to get stoned to get up there, and he comes back down like, well, that wasn't even worth it. Let's do it again because what's waiting on the other side, uh, the stones ain't going to do anything for me because God's got something greater on the other side. And so why should we make our problems any bigger than what they already are? Uh, and so if I take my problem and my suffering, if I somehow hold it up by faith and, and hold it up in praise and worship, it's not even going to compare to what God is going to give me for that. On the other side, God is in the business of giving beauty for ashes and, and strength for weakness and oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what God does. He takes our worst and he says, hey, I'll trade you. I'll give you something even greater. And so the sufferings that we're going to live through and experience in this life, God still says, hey, I'm going to trade that in the end. Don't worry about it. Don't even try to compare that with what waits you in heaven because it's not worthy of and above all, a lifetime of suffering, God will give you an eternity of blessings. So it's not even worthy to be compared. Musicians, if you would come. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. You see, we have a help. We have a help in the things, in the, in the sufferings, in the, the hardships that we go through. We have uh, something to help us get through that than people who don't have God in their lives. Uh, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so 
Uh, I want to make sure God gets the right message and gets the right help and that I dial the right number. And the spirit uh, inside of me knows exactly what to say, knows exactly where to go. Uh, and so that's why the spirit makes intercession for us. And he's telling, uh, he's telling God exactly what we need, even though we can't put in the words. Uh, God knows exactly what we need. Uh, and so it's not as bad as we think it is because we can get through it. We have the Spirit of God in our lives to help us and to aid us through whatever situation we may face. And that's why we're debtors to the Spirit. It is everything to us. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. Amen. No matter how evil it may be. Uh, it, God's going to work it all out in the end. Uh, it's going to work according to his purpose. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? What are they going to say? What shall we say to these sufferings, these trials, or these moments of testings? What we say is God is for me. God believes in me. God is there with me. God loves me. I'm a child of the most high God. I'm going to make it. The Spirit's going to help me. It's going to intercede for me. Uh, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to listen to the voices uh, of the enemy to discourage me. Why? Because I have the Spirit inside of me to lean upon. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. You know, he's saying, who, who dare say anything about uh, the elect of God? It is God that justifieth. Paul, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what charges the devil is going to bring against you. Who's going to bring a charge against the elect of God? Uh, what charges the devil brings or brings up, he'll, he'll bring up your past sins and failures. Uh, Paul says, don't even worry about that. God is the judge. He's the one that declares what is right and what is wrong. And if God looks at you and he says you're innocent, then there's nothing anybody can do about it, right? As long as God says you're, you're good, you're innocent, you're clear, uh, the devil can pitch a fit all day long, but he does not have the power to override and appeal God's decision. When God says you're, you're good, you're good. Uh, and so if we live your faith, your life by the word of God, submitted to his spirit, and it, it is God that will justify you in the end, no matter what kind of life we live, as long as we live it according to his word and follow the spirit, uh, then God will one day say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's, that's what we want to hear, right? That's, uh, that's all what we're looking for. Uh, and it's the spirit that's going to get us there and get us through those gates. That's why we are a debtor to the spirit of God. Stand with me tonight. And so, the second half of Romans chapter 8, Paul addresses and encourages the suffering. Because, he's, again, he addresses that issue. If you want to reign with him, we also have to suffer with him, identify with the fellowship of his suffering. And so uh, those that are suffering, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed 
all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Why? Because they can't be compared to what's waiting for us on the other side. We are the conquerors. They can take this body. They can take this life. But hey, I'm a winner on the other side. God's going to elevate us. God's going to resurrect us. God's going to lift us up. We are conquerors in all these things. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Those are comforting words, right? No matter what you're going through, the love of God has his hand upon you. His, he feels you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. And nothing's going to pull you out of the hands of a loving God. You see how the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost changes everything. The Spirit of God changes everything. It not only changes your present self, it makes you a new creature in Christ with new desires and a new heart to, to follow righteousness. But it also goes and takes a look in your past and it says, I can't see anything. I can't see anything in your past. There's, I don't see any sins. I don't see any transgressions. Uh, they're spotless. They're, they're white as snow. This person is justified. He, he hasn't done anything wrong. Why? Because we have been buried with him, and we've been covered by his blood and his name. And, and so because of our past is all cleansed, and presently we are walking by the Spirit and not after the flesh, because of those two things, now our future has changed. You change your past and you change your present, guess what? You're going to change your future. And if the Spirit declares your past innocent and He's leading you today in this present life, guess what? Your future is about to be changed. Now we have a destiny. We have a divine inheritance waiting for the children of God. Uh, and so we may face some trials along the way. We'll experience some suffering in this life because Jesus experienced suffering. But it's not even worth it to try to compare to what God has waiting for us on the other side. And so we are debtors to Christ. We are debtors to the Spirit of God. And everyone, every Jew and every Gentile needs to believe and obey in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be filled with the Spirit of God and repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and God will give you the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so that's what everybody needs. It doesn't matter who you are because it's the Spirit that changes everything about us and we become debtors to Him and His Spirit. Aren't you thankful for the Amen. Spirit of God? Aren't you thankful for Him leading you to an altar where you can cry out Thank to God? and he can fill you and change your life. So let's worship the Lord together. Let's magnify him and thank him for all that he's done and he's continued to do in our lives because he's got great things in store for us if we walk by the Spirit tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We are debtors to you, Jesus. Debtors to your Spirit. Your grace and your mercy has provided a way
yet, Jesus? Aren't you thankful for God? Aren't you thankful that he makes a way where there seems to be no way? Hallelujah, we worship you. No matter what we go through, God, we're going to give you praise. We're not going to be silent. We're going to keep worshiping you through it all because we know it's not even worthy to be compared to what waits for us as the children of God, our godly and heavenly inheritance. Amen. It, uh, you get out your calculator and you add it all up, it doesn't, it doesn't look good for our side because... What have we done to do all this? You know, we just, we live by faith. God has done the rest. He's paved the way for salvation and done it all. And we just got to, got to have faith in him and, and be obedient to his word. And, and God just does it. Amen. Uh, that's why he deserves all the praise and glory. Amen. Man, we're thankful to be a child of God. Amen. And we want to continue to live each and every day by his word and by his spirit so that we can experience the greatness that is to come. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.